You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Lewis, would you help me out here? There's a stack of papers on this bench. What I want you to do, Lewis, is make sure that everybody in this room gets a copy of that, please. What I'm going to hand out to you is um, some, uh, some scripture support for where I'm going to try to take us this evening. One of the things that's been happening for us as a church over the last couple of months is we have leaned into organizing our advisory board, uh, organizing our shepherding team, and organizing our care team. One of the things that's been happening for us is a massive mission and vision shift for us as a church. A lot of reasons for that. And in my time away, I was able to spend some time in the scriptures and just really putting some clarity to who we are as a church, to where we're headed as a church. And and if I could maybe take everything that I'm about to say to you um, and maybe, uh, maybe try to paint the picture this way. For some of you here, I know this will make sense. Uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit will use it um, to clarify. Yesterday, I took uh, our um, second oldest daughter, Harley, to Omaha, along with the rest of the family, helped her move into college. And um, uh, one of the things for us that that means um, is a slight difference in the way that we do life as a family. Why? Well, here's just a real practical thing. My red Dodge pickup that some of you guys see me drive seats how many? How many of you guys think it's supposed to seat? Six. Six, right? And that's should, should seat six. Those of you that know me know that I've tried to pinch pennies as much as I could over the years. And so sometimes that truck is seated nine, right? Sometimes it's seated nine. That worked when the kids were smaller. As they got bigger, it doesn't work as well. Legs are getting longer. Girths are getting rounder because we eat well. And quite frankly, people just don't get along that well when you're crammed together like sardines in a pickup truck for two and a half hours heading to Omaha, right? And so what that means for us is a slight change in the way that we might do transportation. I was just thinking about this. So I rode my motorcycle by myself behind the pickup, Omaha and back roughly 300 miles. Um, I swore at one point I would never ride my motorcycle in Omaha again. Yesterday I broke that oath would like to reinstate that promise that I will never ride my motorcycle on I-80 in Omaha again. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that sometimes there needs to be a little bit of a shift, a little bit of a difference in the way that you do things, right? Got to make some commitments to doing some things well, some commitments to not doing other things. Why? For health reasons. Health reasons, simply. Sometimes some of us need to decide not to eat as many 16-ounce porterhouse steaks, right? Um, I'll fit that category. Um, there are some of us that sometimes, Dave's shaking his head, never go in there. Okay, I, I, I respect you for that. <laughs> um, there are things that at times we need to do well to continue growing healthy and things that we need to quit doing so that we can get healthier, Right? And so these are just some of the things that have been rolling around in my head for a few months. Got some good pastors that serve on our advisory board. Todd and Lincoln at Two Pillars Church. 
Ryan at the Seed Church in Wichita and Jack over at First Baptist Church in Carroll. These three men have pounded the heck out of me, have helped me to rethink who we are and how we do life together as a church family, helped me to re-clarify, and all in an effort to help us continue growing to realize the vision of who we think God wants us to become as a family. And so I want to start there this evening. I want to read to you Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is going to be found on those sheets that we passed out to you. I'll let you know now, part of the reason that I'm apprehensive is because there's 20 plus passages of Scripture in the notes that you now hold. Part of the reason for that is that I love biblical theology. Always loved biblical theology since beginning to follow the Lord. And so for me, when I step into the pulpit on a Sunday night at times, it's really a, um, a work on my end of cutting things that do not need to be said or touched on. In this case, it feels pertinent that there be ample biblical support for who we're trying to become as a church family. So, so, so another side note, this, this will probably not be the heart-pounding, bone-jarring um, message that you might be used to hearing here on a Sunday evening. And I'm sure some of you are just breathing a sigh of relief because you hate it anyways. It's okay. There's some of you that love to get your heart checked and you're feeling like, crap, what did I show up here for tonight? My hope and my prayer is as we talk mission and vision and strategy and goals for us as a church family, as I lay this out and give this scriptural kind of foundation, my hope is that God would even just challenge you where you sit in terms of what your mission, your vision, your strategy, and your goals for your own personal life are. Like, like we got to ask that question sometimes. One of the things that I did yesterday as we visited the Omaha area was I stopped and visited my mom's grave went with our family and looked at her headstone, which is a bench made out of marble. And on one side of it has a picture of a horse head because my mom loved horses. On the other side of the bench has a really cool quote and a statement about her life. And there was just kind of a surreal moment standing there in the graveyard, just looking at my mom's grave. And what I realized is that sometimes in life, Death is a pretty good piece. As painful and as hard as death is, one of the things that happens when death happens is you're able to see a little bit more clearly. You start to go, hey, this life isn't going to be as long as I thought it would be. It's a little bit shorter. I need to start thinking a little bit more um, intentionally about what I'm going to do with my life. Some of that happened when I walked through that season of my mom's death and just asking the Lord, how would you like me to live? What would you like me to do? Do you want me to kill, still continue to pastor and plant churches? Is this really what you've called me to? A passage for me that has always underscored the mission and vision for us at the well and really to be really honest with you for, uh, for me for my life is Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Catch that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to Jesus. So as he comes and speaks this, as he comes and says, 
this commission. As he comes and unpacks it, he's saying, I'm coming with all the authority of heaven and earth. All the authority you could ever possibly want. I am coming in that authority. Go. Go, therefore. So what authority does Jesus have to tell us to go, therefore? Go, therefore. Therefore, whenever you see the word, therefore, you ask, what's it there for? It's therefore reminding us that Jesus has all the authority on heaven and earth to come and give us this commission. And some theologians would say that that authority is shared with us, the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations is an inclusive word. He doesn't just say, go and make disciples of the drug addicts in town. He doesn't just say, go and make disciples of the, of the, of the alcoholics in town. He doesn't just say, go and make disciples of the rich, wealthy people out in Lachlan. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's an inclusive word, not an exclusive word. The idea behind this is that the commission and the mission that Jesus gives to his church should be a mission which includes people from all backgrounds, all races, all tongues, all tribes, all skin colors. It should be a diverse church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So the commission of the church is to make disciples. Well, what does it look like to make disciples? Do you know how many books have been written on making disciples? If I were to ask every one of you in this room to write me a tidy little paragraph about what it means to make disciples, I guarantee you I would get a different statement from every one of you. Some would have some connecting points. There are people who put words to how to do this and have written many books. And the point that I'm trying to make is that how will we make disciples? Jesus makes it clear in this passage that our job as a church is to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's one. You baptize people because of their proclamation of their faith. Because they have decided to trust in Jesus. And then we are to teach them. That's number two. So you don't just baptize people. You also teach them. Teach them what? Teach them to observe or adhere to or live according to all of the words that Jesus has commanded us. This is the clear command of Jesus to his church. It's called the Great Commission simply because we are co-laborers with Christ in this work. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is a promise. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. When things get tough, I will not, I will not leave you. You think of the disciples. Every one of them that walked with him faced a brutal death. Faced a brutal death. This is something that we in America and across the world primarily do not have to deal with yet. You think of being in that place. You've walked with this teacher for this many years. And now he's leaving you, right? 
And yet he's not leaving you. You've watched him die a brutal death on a cross, lay in a tomb, and then come back to life miraculously. And now he's saying to you, hey, hey, your job is to make disciples, baptize new believers, teach them how to live. And by the way, I will be with you to the end of the age. No matter how hard it gets, the point that Jesus is making is I will always be with you. And then we watch throughout the book of Acts, which is the description of how the church started. We see that narrative play out. And in the midst of that narrative, we watch the Holy Spirit come and fill people. We watch the Holy Spirit come and fill people and help them become the church which made disciples. We see at one point that 3,000 people are saved in one moment. There's another point in Scripture where 4,000 are saved. Can you imagine being Peter and some of those disciples and the payday that that was like? Imagine trying to organize 7,000 people. What would that be like, I wonder? So I bring that passage to you, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, simply to tell you that that is the, is the driving passage behind who we want to become at the well. Our vision and our mission statement simply says this. We want to be a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities that grow disciples who glorify God by following Jesus, leading families, making disciples, equipping missionaries, and planting churches. Now, some of you have been with us long enough to know that's a little bit different than what you saw last week when you walked in here, simply because it's been in a file. And the biggest difference that you're probably going to see in this statement today from last week is the word, words of gospel communities. The concept and the idea behind who we want to be as a church is that we don't just want to be a singular church family. We want to be a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities, meaning that our church family is made up of many gospel communities throughout the city. Why? Why? Because we believe that gospel communities is the best way to evangelize and disciple and bless our city. And our hope is that those gospel communities would continue to grow and that they would be diverse in nature. Now, coming out of that mission and vision statement, the question that we've got to ask is, how are we going to pursue that? How are we going to pursue that over the course of the next couple of years? What we've done is we've come up with three words. You could call them values. You could call them focuses. We come up with three words, gospel, family, and mission. And what we've, what we've kind of put together is that we want to grow in gospel depth, we want to grow in family health, and we want to grow in missional diversity. And I just want to give you a couple of passages for each one of those that I, I hope would help to kind of support those values and those focuses as we continue to grow over the next couple of years. Gospel depth. Like we want to focus on gospel depth for this reason. We want to focus on gospel depth because the gospel is the message of salvation and transformation. And since it's the message of salvation and transformation, then it is of first importance in the life of every individual in a church family. 
So Romans 1, 16-17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is inclusive. What Paul is saying is the gospel is meant to be a message of salvation for all who would hear it and respond. Not just a selective group of people, not just the group of people you get along with the most, not just the people you love to hang out with and pal around with, but to everyone who would receive it. It's the message of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we'll get to Romans 10 later, which I think will help to unpack that final statement about faith. But the big idea and the big concept is what Paul says is that if, if you want to grow in your salvation, you want to grow in righteousness, you need to grow deeper in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. Listen, it's a church that Paul planted, right? It's a church that Paul planted. This is what he has to say to them. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Paul is saying the gospel is the most important thing. I brought this message to you. You received it and you now stand in it unless... You believed in vain. Unless what looked like belief in you, unless what looked like faith in you was not real faith, and unless this message I brought to you was brought in vain, if I didn't bring it in vain, you actually believed it, you can rest assured you've been saved. This is, this is the most important thing. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul is saying this is not just something that I made up. I received this gospel message that I gave to you. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. You hear Paul's humility in this? I brought you the most important message so that by it you could not only be saved, but also be transformed. I brought to you what I also received, but I'm nothing. I'm nothing. In fact, I received this message last. Not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Here is a man named Paul who writes this, who brings this message. The great apostle Paul who writes 13 letters in the New Testament, who still stands there and says, but I'm not worthy. Right? 
not worthy. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. What does Paul know? Paul is acutely aware of his own sin. Paul is acutely aware of his own mistakes. Paul has been humbled by the picture of his own wretchedness and his own need for Christ. So much so that that the only thing that he found worthy and valuable to bring to the table was the message of the gospel. He moves on. He says, but I like to say it's the biggest but in the scriptures. I got one laugh. But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. I love Paul. He's humility. He's humble. right? Yet he still knows, hey, I worked my tail off. And in fact, I worked my tail off harder than anybody else, he says. We could take some notes from the way that the Apostle Paul approaches serving in the church. It's no problem saying, when I worked my butt off at this, Yet at the same time, it's balanced with the humility that says, as I worked my butt off in that church, the only thing that I wanted to be known for was the message of the gospel, which is meant to save and transform lives. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He said, I couldn't have done this in my flesh. This wasn't sheer human effort. This wasn't just Paul working his tail off. This is the grace of God working in and through the Apostle Paul to bring the message of the gospel, which is meant to save and transform lives. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Because of these two passages... Our hope over the next year, couple years, years to come, is to focus on gospel death. I want to focus on gospel death because the gospel is the message of salvation and transformation. Therefore, it is of first importance in the life and the work of the church. Listen, we live here in Hastings, Nebraska, right? Some of us, most of us. And even though Hastings, Nebraska has a really kind of a deep religious heritage of Lutheran and Protestant and Pentecostal and Presbyterian and Catholic, Baptist, non-denominational churches, there's still roughly 70% of our community who have not come to hear the message of the gospel, respond to it, and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and be part of a gospel-centered church. Still 70% of our community who, who, who are not part of a good, healthy church family. So because of that, there's a great opportunity for us as a church. There's a great opportunity for many in our community to hear the message of the gospel, to believe the message of the gospel, and to grow in the message of the gospel. So over the course of the next year, especially, we're going to focus on growing in gospel depth. Some of the ways that we're going to try to do that as a church is by intentionally resourcing our gospel communities with gospel-centered content, which we'll study through together. It's one of the major ways. Now, the way we will attempt to do that is through our Porterbrook um, discipleship study groups as well. Some of the ways that we want to grow in gospel depth. Now, the next thing that we want to focus on over the next year, the next thing we really want to value is family health. We want to see our church family grow in greater health. 
There's a stack of books in my office that I'm reading in terms of what it means to be a healthy church family, not a dysfunctional church family. Let me just list off some of the things that are listed in there. Um, commitment is one. Like a healthy family follows through on its commitments. Um, another thing that is kind of a marker of, of being a healthy family is that we don't shame each other. Um, that we don't guilt trip each other. Um, that we make space for people to make mistakes and we grow in grace with one another, that we learn how to forgive one another. Um, there's a number of different markers of what it means to be a healthy church family. In fact, our, our entire Family Jesus Builds um, study that we do as part of our membership process is based on a book called What is a Healthy Church Member? And so we want to grow in family health. A couple of passages I just want to share with you. Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Hear that word? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why do you suppose they did that? I hear so many people today. So many people today. That seem to have an issue with pastors, especially, when it comes to preaching and teaching. And yet, right here in the word, Acts 2, 42-47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Okay? So, so one of the guys I like to quote, Spurgeon, right? Thankfully, nobody's ever chastised me for quoting Spurgeon. Um, Spurgeon probably roll over in his grave, <laughs> I would guess. Right? Um, I'm, I'm committed to the teaching that Spurgeon brings. Why? Because Spurgeon was a faithful, gospel-centered preacher. There's many others out there today. Uh, R.C. Sproul, I think Nate, I don't know where Nate went. Nate loves R.C. Sproul. Um, you guys in the Theo family, you guys are, uh, what's his name? Charles Stanley, Charles Stanley right? Um, James McDonald. Anybody else want to toss one out? No? Okay. There's a number of good, faithful Bible teachers out there. And what I'm seeing in this passage, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Members of the early church were committed to the teaching that their leaders brought to them. So there's nothing wrong with that. I can imagine some of those house churches as they met throughout the week, sitting in their huddles and saying, hey, did you hear what, what our preacher preached this week? Um, what did you think about this and how did this apply to you? This is good. This is a mark of a healthy church that does that. Okay, It's a mark of a healthy church that does that. And, and not, only, not only just talking about, but devoted. Committed is really that word, devoted, right? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So I guess maybe, maybe part of the problem for me sometimes is that when I approach the Word of God, one of the things that I think about the Word, because God's Word says this about His Word, love how God's Word describes His own Word. Catch that little nuance. I just find that interesting. Some of the things that God says about his own word is that, is that his word is profitable, right? For building up. It's like a, a sword that divides and pierces and cuts and lays bare the intentions and the motivations of the heart. Something none of us can see about each other. It's like one of my pet peeves is when somebody comes to me and accuses me of having motivations about something and they have no clue because they can't see my heart. You know what I mean? Have you ever walked through that? You only said that because you're being selfish. Oh, really? So how do you know that? How, how do you know that? You don't. Well, only God knows that, right? God, God knows motivations. 
You and I, we can judge actions, say that action was sinful. But motivations? Calling out motivations in someone's heart, that's called abuse and manipulation. That's what that is. But God's word has the ability to peer deep down inside of our hearts and lay it bare, lay, lay bare the intentions and the motivations. So when I, when I talk about God's word, when I talk about preaching and teaching God's word, I'm, I'm deeply committed to that. I know many of you are too. Why? Because God's word is faithful. God's word does its work. The men of Scripture were devoted to preaching and teaching God's Word, and the people in the early church were devoted and committed to hearing the teaching of God's Word. And if you go back to the Great Commission, what are we to do? Go, baptize, and what? Teach. Teach. Right? Go, baptize, and teach. It's part of our commission, part of our mission. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship Fellowship, listen, fellowship is not just coming and sitting here on a Sunday night. A Sunday night is very important. It's a piece of it. Gospel communities are a massive piece of that for us. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Listen, received their food with glad and generous hearts. One of the things that I think marks an unhealthy church family is the presence of grumbling and gossip and slander. So when we use our words to inflict pain and hurt, and the reason I think this happens is because hurting people hurt people, okay? It's the reality. When you and I get hurt, oftentimes what we have a tendency to do is to shield ourselves and hurt other people in the midst of that because we're hurting and we haven't healed. So can I just exhort us for a minute and just say, hey, like, I am not your source of healing, and, and the person sitting next to you is not going to be your source of healing. Uh, only Jesus can be your source of healing. Hurting words hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. I think that's why there's oftentimes this underlying level of gossip and grumbling and slanderous accusations that take place in churches. Because people are hurting. And the reality is, what needs to happen is the gospel needs to permeate our hearts so that there can be healing. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Ask yourself, is your heart glad? Is your heart glad? If it's not glad, it's not encouraged, then, then what is it that's causing you discouragement? Has God let you down? Has God disappointed you somehow? Has God hurt you? Because see, see if, there's, if there's hurts and wounds inside of your heart, and if you walk around and your life is full of grumbling and gossip and despair, then where have you placed your hope and your trust? Where have you placed your faith? What are you looking to to bring you healing? Your husband? Your wife? The new purchase, new church, new friendships, they will all fail you. 
They will all fail you. All of them. All of them. Listen, if, if you're walking around grumbling, beat down, discouraged, depressed, it's, it's not because it's not because your husband or your wife has failed you. It's not because your church has failed you. Although they will fail you, but that's not the reason you're depressed. The root of our depression is in the fact that we worship false gods. That's what it really comes down to. I, mean, I could place all my faith, all my trust, all my hope in wishing that we would plant another church or wishing that church members would do what I asked them to. Right? And when I feel depressed when that doesn't happen, I have to repent of that and turn my faith back to the Lord, the only one who can sustain my faith. Can't live there. Right? Anything on this earth will always let us down. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can you imagine what that would be like if God just started adding to the church day by day those who were being saved? That would be fantastic. It would be crazy. It would be too much to manage. Hebrews 10, 23-25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So who are we supposed to place our trust in, right? God. God. Some of you might be asking them, why be a part of a church? <laughs> why get married? Why have a family? Well, there's, we'll probably tackle that some other time, right? <laughs> for he who promised is faithful. My God is faithful. I have watched our God in heaven restore lives, set people free from addictions, reconcile relationships, bring healing to marriages. I've seen him bring this church up out of a little dream a few years ago with six of us sitting around a table to where we are at today. Watch God do miraculous things. There is nothing that he cannot do. He who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, consider, think about this, consider. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if we spent our time in gospel community, not beating each other, not shaming each other, not guilting each other, right? But stirring each other up to love. Hey, brother, hey, sister, how are you doing this week? How, how, how are you doing at loving people around you? How are you doing at loving your enemies, those who trash talk you, those who oppose you, those who have hurt you? How are you doing at loving them? How are you doing at, at living a life of good works? What if, what if our gospel community time was spent stirring one another up to love and good work? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So not stopping meeting. Not discontinuing gospel community. Not discontinuing being there as a part of the gathered congregation on Sunday evenings. Not discontinuing that. Not neglecting that. He uses strong words intentionally. You're neglecting your own spiritual care. You know, you're not giving yourself over to a place and a group of people where you can be stirred up, as is the habit of some. 
So Paul rightly acknowledges when he writes this, as I think Paul wrote Hebrews, Paul rightly acknowledges that even then there were groups of disgruntled, frowning people who were always walking around warring against the church and blah, 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 freaking blah, right? Paul knows that. It was happening then. It's happening now. Ain't no different. People are still the same. Do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, because Jesus is coming back someday, encourage one another. So we want to grow in gospel depth. We want to grow in family health. Also want to grow in missional diversity. Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the church is to be a battering ram. The church is to be a battering ram, which batters on the very gates of hell and provides the message of salvation. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is not in my power. This is not in your power. This is in the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is missional diversity. Not just one group of people that we all feel comfortable with, but a vast group of people from all sorts of different places. Jerusalem, for the disciples, would have been their comfort zone because they were Jews. Samaria would have been their uncomfortable zone because Samaritans were half-breeds and Jews weren't supposed to go there because that was a dirty place to go. And to the ends of the earth means exactly what it says, to the ends of the earth. This is for all tribes, all tongues, all nations, all people. It's an inclusive message. Our missional work in our community is meant to be diverse, not just one group. Acts 2.38 through 41, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. This is the message that every preacher wants to preach. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. The literal mean of what Peter says here is not, hey, you need to go save yourself, because all of us should understand that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The only thing we can do is trust in Christ. Christ's work at the cross is what does the saving. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, Peter's word, were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people got saved at the preaching of Peter. That's an exciting day. It's an exciting day. Romans 10, 13 through 15, Paul says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Listen, this passage, Romans 10, Love this passage because what this passage proves for us is that you weren't saved so that you could go hide out with your cool group of friends that only you are comfortable with. Okay? I'll say it again. You were not saved so that either A, you could go walk this out alone at home outside of community with other believers. You were also not saved so that you could just go hang out with some cool club of people that you get along with really well. How is that proven? For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
So the only way you can call on Jesus is if you believe, right? Yep, this is easy. How and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So you call on Jesus once you've believed. Oh, but you can't believe unless you hear. You've got to hear the message, right? And how are they to hear without, bingo, someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Turn this around. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when somebody brings the gospel, right? But somebody has to get sent. Somebody has to preach it. Somebody has to hear it. Somebody has to believe it. Somebody has to call on God, and then they get saved. That's, that's, the, that's the basic process of evangelism and missions work for the church. Paul wrote this. Why? Well, I, I just I think God impressed it on him. To write this, number one. Number two, Paul had an awful lot of experience in this area. <laughs> right? So you and I did not get saved to walk out our individual faith by ourselves, hiding out in our little shack somewhere. Nor did we get saved to just hang out with some cool crowd of people that only we get along with. Missional diversity is important for us as we move forward. As far as strategy and how we're going to get this done... The course of the next couple of years. Gospel communities are huge for us. So we're going to continue moving that direction. Acts 2, 42-47, Hebrews 10, 23-25 are good foundational support for how and why we do gospel communities. One of the things that we believe intensely is this. That it's not just the pastor's job. Let me say this very well so you can hear it. Just. It's not just the pastor's job. Okay, make sure we got it. It's also not just a select group of leaders' job. It's also not just the superhero Christians who went to seminary. It's not just those people's jobs to do the work of the ministry. In fact, it's the work of the entire church as a family that does the work of the ministry. That's why we have gospel communities. Gospel communities are not primarily a Bible study where you come and get fed. Gospel communities are not primarily just a cool place to hang out with all your cronies and your friends, right? Gospel communities are the place where the life of the church takes place. Life together. Life on life gospel growth. So we'll continue to do gospel communities. Uh, we have taken our membership class and we've broken it down in a couple of different pieces and parts. One of the things we did is we broke a piece of it out and called it the gospel DNA class. And you can look to Romans 1, 16 through 17 again and 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11 again to see our foundation for why we would do a gospel DNA class. The reason we're going to do a gospel DNA class is about an hour and a half to two hour long class. And, and it's meant to ensure that somebody's actually saved. It's meant to ensure that somebody's actually following Christ and not just giving lip service to something that their life doesn't actually bear out. So that's why we'll do a gospel DNA class. And then after that, we're going to do the Family Jesus Build Study, which all of you have uh, been a part of that as well. It's kind of the same as before, just a little bit more condensed. Um, got some good sections on what it means to be a part of the church family. And then your divine design assessment is separated out of that to help you understand how you're gifted. You can look to Romans 12, 3 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12 to see biblical foundation for why we would want to assess people's gifts and help them serve in the local church. 
And then finally, a part of our strategy is to do Pornbrook discipleship groups. What we have done is we have taken those three words, gospel, family, and mission, and we have, we have, we have strategically built out our Porterbrook study site to encompass those three categories. So for those of you that would like to join up with that over the course of this next year, uh, we've got them at a cut rate. They're like 15 bucks a course. There'll be three courses that you get to go through. There should be plenty of scholarships available. We'll meet at least once a month as a group. We'll have some special guest teachers come in. We also have one, maybe two, maybe three other churches that are going to join us in this endeavor to help us disciple people and teach them how to live according to God's word, right? And so what we'll do is like course number one, uh, we'll have uh, everything to do with growing gospel depth. Then course number two, we'll have everything to do with what it means to grow in family health. And then course number three for this year, we'll have everything to do with how to grow in missional diversity, getting on mission and pursuing lost people. I would encourage as many of you as want to, to connect with me and we'll get you hooked up with that. Uh, finally, I want to kind of land uh, down towards the end here because I know our time is short. And I want to wrap this up. You've got all the biblical support there in your hands if you've got one of these handouts. Uh, I want to just kind of lay out like uh, six uh, what, what I call pastoral goals for this next year. Um, as I work with our advisory board, which functions as our formal and legal board, basically, as I work with them and as I work with our shepherding team and our care team, I've kind of just outlined six pastoral goals. Well, number one, over the course of the next 12 months, we want to strengthen our care team and our shepherding team. Number two, we want to strengthen our quarterly members meetings. We need to get to doing those quarterly and doing that in a rhythm that makes sense and feels healthy and feels beneficial. Uh, and then we also want to strategically resource our study content of our gospel community so that we are intentionally tackling issues that are relevant for us as a church. We also want to strengthen our benevolence and follow-up policies. One of the things that has happened as we've grown as a church is that I, I used to handle a lot of that stuff kind of on my own and, and, I, and I just can't handle it anymore. And, uh, um, and so we're going to try to strengthen our benevolence and follow-up policies. Uh, and then uh, number five, we want to develop a, a gospel community assessment tool. Just a tool that you can take into your gospel community and every member in that gospel community can fill it out and we can assess the health of your gospel community. And then we can intentionally and strategically resource your gospel community so that you can grow towards health. Uh, and then finally, we also want to, like I just talked about a minute ago, we want to launch those in-house Porterbrook study groups, which is something that I'll be taking the main lead of. Um, finally, just uh, by way of celebration, as we get ready to wrap this up, I'll invite our music team back forward. Um, just by way of celebration, um, you guys know that our budget is $82,000 a year. I shared this a couple of weeks ago, and there were uh, a few people that were, um, I think maybe took something that I said wrongly. And I'm just going to say it again, and I'm going to explain it at the same time again. Um, this, I think, is what I said. Um, I'm happy to be able to say that you guys are not able to cover my salary. I'm happy for that. Not happy because I don't need you. Not happy because I don't want us to get there. Um, because I would like our church to get there. Um, because that means sustainability. And it's a marker of health and growth for us as a church, right? Um, and we need to get there one day. And we will. Um, but let me explain this. I can either sit around butthurt because we're not where I want us to be. Or I can have joy in where we're at. And I find it joyful for us to be where we are today. Why? Because someday I believe that many of us sitting here today will have the opportunity to invest in another church family that is in the same place we are as they begin to grow. And we will be able to say to them, hey, we've been where you're at and, uh, and we're with you. Tyler? Yeah.
okay, man. You're all right. We'll help you get up there. I noticed you took a wrong turn somewhere. Good job, Tyler. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> I shouldn't have invited you guys forward so early. I should have known better. Yep. One of these days, you might. <laughs> I love you too, Tyler. You're good stuff, man. So I'm joyful for the season we're in. Does that make sense? And I, and I want the rest of us to be there as well. Doesn't mean we don't quit. We don't continue pushing forward and towards where we believe God's called us to be. Um, it means we take joy in the place that we're in right now. One day, God will bring us to a place where we will have grown. We will not only sustain our own budget as a church family, but we will be able to sustain another church as we get to plant it. And I'll stay here until we get there. Sound like a plan? I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, thanks for our time together this evening. Pray, God, that you would take everything that I've shared. And pray, God, that you would use it to bring yourself honor and glory and that you would use it to uh, bring about a sense of um, just depth and growth in our church. Pray, God, that you would bring clarity to maybe places that were a little bit gray before this. In Jesus' name, amen. There's communion here up front. There'll be somebody here to serve you. If you're with us and you're not a believer, don't take communion because it'd be a really religious activity. It'd be a dead activity. and You actually drink judgment upon yourself. If you're actually living your life as an unbeliever right now and you call yourself a Christian, don't take communion because you will drink judgment upon yourself. Instead, I would encourage you, come forward, receive some prayer, get yourself right with the Lord. Maybe then at that point, partake in communion. It is the resemblance of the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. And so if you're here, you're with us, you are a believer, come and take, enjoy, trust in God in these moments. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. from the well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.